Well, we're in a second week of a short two-part series dealing with the church. Now, I'll tell you where we'll be next week because I want you to go ahead and prepare your hearts and minds for what we're going to be starting next week. Next week, we'll be starting a series on the book of Galatians. Galatians. So I want to challenge, encourage you this week, if you can make time, read the book of Galatians. You'll be better prepared for next Sunday. We're going to cover the first five verses next Sunday, but it'll help you if you've read the book. Well, this week, we're looking at the church. And in particular, we're looking a little bit at our church, who we are called to be as a church here at IEC. But I want to start with a question. Or maybe I should more accurately phrase it, a fill-in-the-blank statement. Here it is. It'll appear on the screen. It says, my life really counts. Or you could say, my life really matters if or, or because. Think about that just for a second. How would you fill in that blank? My life matters because God created me. That's a great answer. Amen. We are all uniquely made in the image of God. That's glorious. And we have worth and value because of that. My life matters because Jesus Christ has redeemed me. Amen. There's probably some other answers you had in mind. And probably many of those answers were, were very good, were, were accurate. But today... I want to start off by looking at how the Apostle Paul answered that question. You know, Paul is the church planter of the New Testament. He went and planted, started all these churches. One of the things I love about Paul, the churches that Paul writes to, they're not perfect churches. Next week when we start Galatians, you're going to see Paul started some churches that weren't perfect. And what we'll see today is that in truth, no church is perfect. A church ceases to be perfect as soon as any of us walk through the door. The church is made up of imperfect people. But as a church, we desire to be faithful. So today I want to show you a verse uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8. Look at how Paul would answer this question. My life really matters. Look at what Paul says in this verse. For now, we really live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Now, in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament, one of these words has major emphasis. Meaning it's the, the focus of this verse. Think about that. What do you think it is? Some will say, well, now we, meaning Paul and his companions. Or some might say, for now we really live. Live is the focus. What does it mean to live? Some will say it's stand firm, stand fast. That's the focus. Here's the major emphasis of this verse. For now we really live. If you, you are standing fast in the Lord. The emphasis of this verse, Paul says, he really lives. If you, Thessalonians, that's who he's speaking to. If the Thessalonians are standing fast, firm in their faith, that's what Paul says it means for him to live. Now back to the fill in the blank I did at the beginning. I really live if because. How many of us were thinking if my child stands firm in the faith? 
If that student I teach in Sunday school stands firm in the faith. If my friend is standing firm in the faith. If those brothers and sisters in the church are standing firm in the faith. That's what it means for me to live. I venture to say, the majority of us didn't answer it that way. But what I want us to see in Scripture for you to really experience life, to really live, is to see those around you that God has allowed your life to impact. And believe me, every one of us impacts other people. You're either doing so intentionally for the good and God's glory, or you're just going through the motions and you're impacting people without thinking about it. But all of us have influence. Some of our influence is small. Some of it's great, but we all have it. And we're all impacting other people. And the question for us is, do we really live? Because we see those that God has allowed our life to impact standing firm in the Lord. That's how Paul answers this question. Well, one of the things I love about Paul's letters, Paul will write a letter to the church, but then if you take the book of Acts, you can go to Acts and see where nearly all of the churches that Paul writes a letter to started. So anytime I look at one of Paul's letters, I like to look at where Paul started that church how that church came about. So that's going to be our, our passage that we're going to look at today. We're going to be in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at what I'm calling a model church. I didn't say it's a perfect church. I didn't say it's the model church. I said it's a model. It's an example. In fact, this letter of Thessalonians, the church had some problems. Every church that Paul writes to has some issues, have some struggles, has some problems, has some things that they need to grow in and, and mature in, and Paul wants to help them in that. And the reality is every church that you ever walk in will have some challenges and will have some struggles and will have areas where they need to grow in. That's a reality of the church. But Paul here, the church in Thessalonica, it's one of Paul's best churches. Of the churches he started, this church did a whole lot of things really well. So let's read the starting of this church. Acts chapter 17, verse 1 through 9. If you would, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying this, Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ." And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned the world upside down, have come here. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. 
God, your word declares that all men are like grass. And all our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word, O oh Lord, it's your word that stands forever. May this be the word that is faithfully preached today. Unless you speak, nothing of any eternal significance will be spoken here today. So speak, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, about the time we think rainy season's nearing the end, we get a one last good rain here on a Sunday morning. Well, in our passage today, it starts off and it says, now they. One of the things I love about Paul, you read Paul's letters and Paul is not alone. Paul always has someone with him that he's discipling, that he's training up, that he's preparing. And when he writes the book of Thessalonians, he has a man named Silvanus, we call him Silas often, and a man named Timothy with him. And they come and they go to the synagogue where the Jewish people would worship. Paul always, when he goes to a city, first place he goes is to the synagogue. Christ said he came first to the Jews, then the Gentiles. He came for both, but the Jews should, should have been, he was hoping, would be the first to receive him because they have the word of God and they should have been anticipating him. So that's where Paul goes. And in verse 2, it says, For three Sabbath days, three Sabbath days Paul reasoned with, reasons with them in the synagogue. That's at least three weeks. Paul starts this beautiful church in Thessalonica in at least three weeks, but no more than six months. We can tell from the timeline of Paul's travels, he was not here for more than six months, probably much closer to three months or less, but maybe as little as three weeks. So it wasn't very long that Paul was here at this church teaching them, and what I want us to look at today is not so much what we do as a church. I'll tell you, I have an issue. I struggle with focusing on what the church is doing. That's a very Western, even American way of thinking about the church. What do we do as a church? What I want us to see today is more of who we are as a church, who we're called to be, and because of who we are, this is the reason we do these things. What we do should flow out of who we are as a church, and today I want to show you six things that this, about this model church. Six things about this model church. And the first one, we're going to find in verse 3 of chapter 17 Acts. It says, Paul was explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. Saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So, so hear this. The first thing we have to know about the church. A model church is built on the gospel. That's the foundation of the church foundation of the church is this, that Jesus Christ, God Almighty, entered the world, lived a sinless life, laid down his life for us so that we could be reconciled to God. The good news of the gospel is what the church is built on. Now, you can place a name on a building when you can call it a church, but as soon as a church strays, pulls away, roams from the truth that he is the Christ. He is the son of living God. That church, by definition, biblically, no longer would be considered a church. The foundation of the church is he's the Christ. He's the son of the living God. That's what we're built upon. We're built upon the gospel, the good news. We proclaim this good news. That's who we are called to be. So the first thing about a model church that we have to know is it's built on the gospel. 
Church, may that be true of us. May we be a church that is firmly built upon the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I love how the Bible will describe God. I've done this several times. I've asked groups and I've said, hey, how would you describe God? What words would you use? What would you bring up to describe God? And I'll get a lot of different answers. Oftentimes people say, well, God is holy. God is good. God is pure. God is all-knowing. He's just. He's graceful. He's merciful. Every one of those words is true of our God. You want to know how an Old Testament Jewish person would describe God? Listen to the words from the Old Testament that describe God. God's like a rock. God's like shade. God is like eagle's wings. God is like shelter. He's like a consuming fire. He's like a shield. He's like a strong tower. He's like living water. He's a shepherd. He's a fortress. Those are the words that the Old Testament uses to describe our God. I have an eight-year-old son. If I said to him, draw me a fortress, you think he could do it? Might be a little lopsided, but he could draw it. Draw me a shield. Draw me an eagle. Draw me a rock. He can draw them all. If I say, draw me just, draw me holy. Do, do you see the difference of how God's often described in Scripture from the words that in many of our cultures we use? God is described in these pictures that we experience, we feel. Think about this. Hot day. You're out in the sun starting to sweat. You're walking around and there you see shade. And you go and sit in that shade. Can you feel it? You know what that feels like? You can experience it right now. All of you are going, yeah, I've done that. I know what that's like. You're tired. You're weary. This world is beating down on you. God's like shade. Oh, He'll give you rest. He'll give you rest for your soul. You're thirsty. I need something to drink. We all know what that's like. God is living water. All of us have been thirsty. All of us have been at that point that we're nearly dehydrated and we get water and we go, I'm so thirsty in that water. We know it revives you. That's our God. Our God's a rock. Rainy season, I walk outside my house and everything's muddy. Do you know what I look to walk on? I have this rock path. I'm going to stand on the rock. It's firm. It's secure. I'm not going to shift. Do you see how these images that we get of God, we don't just hear them, we feel them. We experience them. We know what they're like. That's how the Bible often describes God. That's also how the Bible describes the church. The church has a lot of images I'll give you three of the most common images of the church in the New Testament. The church is the body of Christ. A body. My hands, I can wave them in the air. I can pick up my Bible. I can do a lot of things with my hands. The head tells my body what to do. Christ is the head. He's the head of the church. He tells the church what to do. But my foot... I'm standing on my feet are different from my hands. See, we're many people, but we're different. 
We have different strengths, different weaknesses, different gift sets. That's how God has designed it. Have you ever had a part of your body hurt? All of us have. Have you ever had a small injury to one part of your body that you've never noticed? Maybe it's your pinky finger and you get a cut on it. I never pay attention to this finger, but it's hurting. The finger hurts. Now it gets attention. Some of you come here today. You're hurting. You're in a tough season of life. The church, those who are hurting, those who are struggling, we're to love one another, to care for one another. And Paul, when he speaks to this church in Thessalonica, he's going to use these sort of images. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip over to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to hang out in Thessalonians for a minute, and I'm going to show you some things. I'm going to read chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 6 and 7. I'm going to focus on 7. Actually, I'll be starting there. Paul says this, But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother caring for her own children. What was Paul like with the church in Thessalonica? He was like a mother. Now when I say the word mother, you have an image? Can you think of your mother? As I say that, do you have a feeling attached to that? When I say mother, it's not somebody you just think of with a picture. There's an emotion attached to it. There's a feeling attached to it. There's a smell that a mom has. You see, you, you know who your mother is. All of us have a mother. Every one of us. Now some, by circumstance of life, you may have not met your mother. Some of you may have had mothers that struggled, that weren't as good to you as they ought to be. That's some of your stories. So some, when I say mother, you feel this emotion and it's a bit negative. But for many, when I say that, Oh, there's a warmth. There's a positive feeling when I say mother. You go, oh, that feels good. That you associate with mother. Now, if I ask you, what, what are, what's some characteristics of a good mother? I'm going to give you some that people have said before. A mother's patient. So she's respectful. She's strong, yet humble. She's empathetic. She's supportive. She's caring. She's consistent. She's available. She's forgiving, calm, loving, friendly, welcoming, nurturing, loyal, attentive, trustworthy. There's probably a lot of other words you could use for mother as well. Again, all of us have one. None of us have a perfect mother. But I think all of us, as I talk about this, you don't just hear mom, you feel it. And that's what Paul is speaking to this church. We were like a mother to you. We cared for you. We loved you. And that's our second point. A model church cares like a mother. Who are we to be as a church? We're to be like a good mother. To care for those who come here. To take good care of these children that have been entrusted to us. We're to be a good mother as a church. That's what we're called to be. Look at verse 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Look at what it says. So being affectionately desirous for you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but ourselves. Because you have become dear to us. Two things Paul says we shared with you. The gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. How to live it out. He shared truth. Church, we've got to be a place that speaks truth. Not an opinion. All of us have opinions. 
And truth comes from this, God's Word. We want to be faithful to share that. But church, we've also got to share our lives with one another. We need one another. We need to share our lives with one another, to see each other, to spend time with one another. You see, the church is meant to be a group of people who know and love and care for one another. That takes some energy. That takes some time. That takes some effort. We're a large enough church that you're certainly not going to know everybody here. That's just the reality of, of where we are. But you need to know some people. You need to slow down to get to meet some people here at the church. This is who we are to be. That's why we do certain things. Because we believe we need to know one another, share the truth, and have fellowship and share our lives. Each Sunday we have coffee right out front. We don't do that because we think you need more coffee. We don't do that because we think you can't get coffee on your own. Like you don't know where a coffee store is. And we do that. So you slow down. And you talk. And you fellowship. And you're with one another. We have classes here. Small groups. You need to be with one another. You need people that you do life with as a church. We've been doing a class welcoming people to Addis. Our young adults need to know one another. We need to have fellowship, is what it's often called. We need to share our lives. These are important things. So when we talk about our church's mission statement, I'm right at the beginning, to make disciples of all nations for the glory of God. I don't know how many nations we have here today, but it's quite a few. And we have an opportunity to get to know one another from different nations, to carry each other's burdens. But the key of discipleship that we see in Scripture is this. Truth and life transferred to another person in the context of a real relationship. And relationship takes time. One of the things I love about life here in Ethiopia, you're so much better at relationship and caring for one another than I am. I learned so much. The culture I come from, we're highly individualistic. We don't have time for people. We're too busy. As a church, we need one another. We need to care like a mother. Let's look at a couple verses down. Verse 11 and 12, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Hear these words. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory now what Paul says hey we were like a mother a nursing gentle mother taking care of a child now Paul says we were like a father Again, I say the word father. Everybody in here, you have an image. You have a feeling. You have an emotion. Some of your emotions may not be positive when I say the word father. Just like tragically, some people's emotions and feelings associated with the church is one of hurt, one of pain. The church may have hurt them or done something. Some people have those wounds. But when we talk about what's a good father supposed to be? What's a good father supposed to do? Who's he supposed to be like? Well, a good father lovingly disciplines his children. A good father trains his children. A good father provides for his children. He protects. He's supportive. He leads by example. He's firm but gentle. He's patient. He's dependable. A good father can even share his emotion. A good father loves his wife, loves his children's mother well. You know, if you look at people who don't believe in God, 
When you look at people in the church, when they study some of the most important things in the life of a child, do you know what's always at the top of that list? Mom and dad's relationship. That's number one. Parents, you want to give your kids a gift? Men, you want to raise good children? Love your wife. Love her well. That's the best gift you can give your children. Wives, you want to love your children well? Love your husband. Respect your husband. Have a good marriage. And let me tell you, the enemy, Satan, hates good marriages. He wants to destroy the marriage. He wants to get it where you go, hey, we're going to survive, but we're not going to thrive. And here's what I know sadly to be true. There's a lot of you here today, and your marriages are hurting. And some of you are too afraid to do anything about it. Don't let the enemy capture you by fear. He wants you to be afraid to do anything about your marriage. Husbands, ask your wife, how are you doing? How can I love you better? Even as I say that, some of you are going, well, my culture doesn't do that. Well, that doesn't matter. We're talking Bible. We're talking gospel culture. We're not talking about the cultures that we all come from that are broken. We're talking, what does Scripture say? Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husband. We started this morning, between service, a marriage class. We're not doing that just because we want to have a marriage class. We believe that's loving our body. And your marriage may be doing great. I would still encourage you to come to marriage class. Because as soon as your marriage is doing great, the enemy goes, I know where to attack. And sadly, many of your marriages are struggling. Do you know who knows best if your marriage is struggling? Your children. Your children know the truth of what's going on in your marriage. They see it every day. They see how dad talks to mom, how mom talks to dad. They hear the tone. They watch them interact. They see them. Are they gentle or are they just living together? We need excellent marriages here. So I'd encourage you, listen, husbands, some of you this is going to be really bold. Lean over your wife and say, hey, I want to, I want to go to that marriage class with you. Even if your marriage is doing great. Because as soon as we stop focusing on our marriages, we drift. We get into patterns. Now, we want God-honoring, God-glorifying marriages. So I'd encourage you, marriage class, meeting again next week. Just show up, 1030, show up, 113. We're not doing it to have a class. We're doing it because we love you. We love our body. And we believe a church filled with people who are fighting for their marriage will have children that are doing better. We'll have a church that's healthier. We want that. And here Paul, he's using this language. Father, mother. That's how the church is to be. And just like we have good fathers and good mothers and we have fathers who struggle and bad fathers and bad mothers, we've had those. And listen, if you hear that and you go, I made mistakes. I don't feel like I'm a very good father. I don't feel like I'm a very good mother. It's never too late. As long as you have breath in your lungs, you can go and apologize to your children. There's been times I've said to my children, I've looked at them, I said, you know what? I talked to your mom in an unkind way. That's my sin, and I'm sorry. I've said that to my children. They'll hear me say that. My children were little, I used to sit around the dinner table, and I'd say, who's number one in dad's life? She is. She's more important than you. She matters more to me than you do, children. I love you. She's number one. You disrespect mom, you're going to get dad angry. 
I don't get angry a lot. But I don't like it when my boys talk rude to my wife. You respect mom. They need to know that dad loves mom enough to stand up and go, we're not going to have that. You're not going to speak to her in that tone. She's my bride. That's another image we have of the church. We had the body. We also have the bride. The most intimate relationship you're supposed to have on earth is husband and wife. Intimate emotionally, intimate physically, intimate in every way. And Jesus says, that's my relationship with the church. That's how we're to operate with Christ. He's the glorious groom. We're the bride. We're not a perfect bride. No bride is perfect, but that's who we are. Also, we get the image of a temple as the church. Temple is where you came to meet with God. Where do people come to meet with God? Not so much in a building, in the people called the church. You want to see who God is? Look at the people of God. Can people look at you and see Christ? I'm not saying you're perfect. A Christian is quick to repent. None of us are going to be perfect, but when we see our sin, we say, I'm broken over my sin. So he says, I was like a father. Parents, as your children grow older, what do you hope for them? Most parents hope that one day their children will marry. Now, not everybody marries. Scripture has a real high view of single life, much higher than our society does. So know that being single and serving the Lord is a glorious thing. But a lot of parents, we hope children marry. And when they marry, what do you want? Moms, what do you want when your child gets married? Grandchildren. How many of you grandparents are here going, oh, I got some grandchildren. I love my grandchildren. We hope our children eventually reproduce, just like the church. Father, mother, raising up the body. And we hope the church eventually reproduces more Christians, leading people to Christ as we go out. Next thing in verse 14, same chapter, 1 Thessalonians 2. Look at what it says. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Jesus Christ. A model church, hear this, a model church is worthy of imitation. A healthy church should be one that other churches look and go, we want to be like that church. We see what they're like. Worthy of imitation. Parents. Have you ever had somebody say to you, I love it when your children are around my kids. They're good examples. They raise things up. I'll tell you, it's one of the biggest compliments a parent can get is that your children make other children better. Don't you love that, parent? And conversely, when you hear the sad news that your child and all children are sinful, but your child is the one who's making other children leading them the wrong direction. It breaks your heart. And it should. It's sad. Now God's grace is sufficient for that. But just like the church, we want to be a church that is worthy of imitation. And people look and go, Christ is honored there. The Bible's lifted up there. We need more churches like that. They love people at that church. They love one another. We don't love each other perfectly, but we want to do that well. I want to give you a definition of the church. There's many definitions. I actually got this definition from one of our elders, Steve Bennettson. He's actually not here today, but um, this is a definition that he had written in a paper that he shared with me. I found it really helpful. Here it is. Definition of a church. A God-ordained community of people intentionally pursuing relationship with God and others visibly expressed through worship, teaching, fellowship, sacraments, and service to others so that God may be glorified. Now look at this definition. Who started the church? God. What's the purpose of the church? To glorify 
God. He's on both ends of this. What's the purpose of church? It's about God and others. How do we visibly express this? Through worship. I said this last week, and I don't think I can say it enough. Don't buy the lie that you can be a Christian and walk the way that God would have you walk apart from the local church. You need the local church. The local church needs you. No local church is perfect. But I see too many people go, well, the local church, they don't do what I like or they don't have this. No, the enemy's getting a hold of you. You need to be here. Somebody needs you. We need to see one another. We need to be together. Teaching, we teach the word of God. Fellowship, you need relationship with the people in this room. If you don't have relationship with someone here and you've been here a while, I grieve that. I'm sorry. But two things. Will you be bold enough to take a step to put yourself in a place to get to know people? You need to do that. We need fellowship. We celebrate the sacraments, communion, baptism. We serve. In our bulletin, I put a lot of areas of service in that our church needs. We need people to serve here. And I want to tell you a tension I feel. It's very real. And I want you to hear both sides of this. Some of you, you're being the church. You go out here every week and you serve in difficult places, hard places, and you're in a tough season. And you're saying, can I just come and be blessed by the community and be blessed by the word of God and just be present? Absolutely. Some of you need that. That's the season of life you're in. You need, there's times where we go, I just need to go and sit and be present with the people of God and be blessed by the word of God. I need healing. I'm hurting. I'm pouring out over here. I'm being the church over here. I need rest. Some of you are there. But just like our children, they go out of the home just like fathers and mothers, many of you go out of the home and work, but you still have responsibilities at home. You see, one of the things I love about IEC, we are made up with people that are out of these walls doing amazing things. I love hearing your stories. People doing business for the glory of God. People working in embassies for the glory of God. People working with hurting children for the glory of God. Many of you, you're going out of this church and you're doing a great job of being the church scattered. But we also need to be faithful to be the church gathered. Okay? If you're not serving in any capacity here at IEC, you're likely robbing yourself. Not the church. We need you. But you also need to be a part of giving to the church, of serving in the church. We've got a list of a lot of areas we need help in. We'd love for you to pray about doing that. A couple groups of people I'm worried about. Some of you come, you do way too much. And you're hearing this going, I think I could do a little more. Maybe not. You're the one who feels like he needs people to do more, I'm going to do more. You may need to do less. Some of you are coming here and going, well, I'm sort of tired. I'm not going to do anything. Enemies feeding you a lie. Don't believe it. Don't buy it. We need you. You need to be here. It's a great opportunity to serve. Back to chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Again, looking at this church, a model church. I'm going to read verse 6. It's sort of in the middle of the passage that we've got showing up on the screen. Chapter 1, verse 4 through 7, but I'm going to focus on verse 6 and 7 and 8. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, verse 8, 
For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we do not need to say anything. They became imitators of the church in Thessalonica. This was a model church that other churches said, we're going to imitate you. And it imitated to the point that in verse 8 it says, it sounded forth. Sounded forth. The word. What was happening in this church? Began to sound forth. Now let me tell you, every church has a reputation. People know about churches. At church, they focus on this, or they focus on that. At IEC, I'll tell you what we focus on. We focus on making disciples of all nations for the glory of God. We focus on the Word of God being lifted high. We focus on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those are the heartbeats of what we're called to do. We want to build up the body to maturity. And we pray that that sounds forth. That it echoes. Model church has a faith that sounds forth. Chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. We're almost to the last point, point 6. Listen to what it says. Paul speaking. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Hear what Paul says? When Paul stands before God in glory, Paul's going to say, do you see the Thessalonians? God, do you see that church? Somehow you used me, an imperfect sinner, to start a church in Thessalonica. All glory to you, God. I boast in it. I rejoice in it. When you stand before God in glory, what are you going to boast about? What are you going to rejoice in of how you spent your time here on earth? Are you going to have anybody you point to and you go, God, see that child over there? They trust you. You let me teach them Sunday school and teach your word. God, see that teenager over there? They were struggling. They wanted to pull away from the church. You let me lead their small group and invest in them. And now they're walking with the Lord. What are you going to glory in? Scripture always points to people. People that God has used your life to touch. I pray that that's each of our stories. That when we stand before God in glory, we'll say, God, I'm not a very smart person. I'm not super talented. I wasn't the most gifted. But God, I sought to be faithful. I took advantage of the opportunities you put before me. And I poured my life out into others. And I can glory in those who are walking faithful. I pray that's what we get to say. I pray that's who we are. You see, as a church, I'm always afraid we're going to talk more about what we do than who we are. We're to be like a mother. We're to be like a father. We're to be an example for others. If people look to you, are they going to see Jesus? If people were to follow you, are they going to be following someone who's following Jesus? That's who we're to be. So these two weeks I've been talking about the church. We have lots of opportunities here for you to serve this congregation. You see, so often I want you to be faithful to be the church scattered. Amen. Leave these walls and between Monday and Saturday, go after sharing the gospel wherever God's put you. But we need you here. 
You need to be raising up that next generation. You need to be strengthening the body. We need one another. And when you don't come, and when you aren't giving, you're robbing yourself of the joy of investing in others, and you're robbing others of your presence. We need you. It's for your good. It's for your glory. For God's glory. So church, if anything I've said these last two weeks has felt heavy-handed in any way, or if it's felt like I'm pushing just to get us a whole bunch of volunteers, that's not my goal. Our heartbeat is that we are the church. That we love one another. Pastor Mike and our elders, we can't do it all. We need the body to come and to be involved and to engage. And here's what I'll say to you. It's for your good. It's good for you. You're going to enjoy it. It may be hard at times, but you're going to be blessed by it. And I pray that for each of us, when we reach glory, we'll be able to answer this question. Who will you glory in when you stand before Christ? Not what. Who will you glory in when you stand before Christ? God, you use me to impact them. Use me to impact them. May we be found faithful until he calls us home or shall return. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. It is so good. It is living and active. It divides soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Your word moves. Your word convicts. And God, you haven't left us with images of who we're to be that we can't comprehend. We're to be your body. We're to be like a temple where people come to experience God. We're to be your bride that loves you intimately, passionately, that trusts you. We're to be like fathers and mothers and brothers to one another. So Lord, forgive us when we fail to do this. Lord, we confess the enemy often distracts us from what you've called us to and that that's hard. We want to be faithful, so help us, Lord Jesus. Help each person in this church. May we all taste the great joy, and it is a joy, to invest in others for your glory until you call us home or you shall return. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.